Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. Okay, for the first verse, uh, Proverbs 28 and verse 1. Proverbs 28 and verse 1. You know, it suddenly reminds me that someone told me never begin a message by just starting off with a verse. But, but why not? <laughs> you know, sometimes you've you got to wonder where do the rules come from? I mean, <laughs> Can you tell me the verse again? Proverbs 28 and verse 1. Proverbs 28 and verse 1. It says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth. And this is a statement I wanted to get to. But the righteous are bold as a lion. You know, that's pretty bold, I guess, if you compare yourself to a lion. The righteous are as bold as a lion. How would you describe yourself? Would you describe yourself as a lion? You know, here I am. I am as bold as a lion. When it comes to your faith is what I'm talking about. How would you describe yourself when it comes to your faith as far as boldness? Is that the way you would describe yourself, bold as a lion? Well, it might be. Some people might say, well, that's the last way I would describe myself. Probably on the bottom of the list here. That's how I would describe myself. Because obviously, when you think about if you are this way, the righteous are as bold as a lion, you're going to make, I believe, a lot of enemies. They may include family members. Friends may not necessarily like you. People in general may not necessarily like you. People may shun you. You know, I just, you know, I just don't want to be around that person. Whatever. People may talk about you behind your back. People may think you're weird. You ever had that one happen? <laughs> Just flat out weird. That person has a weird religion, a weird doctrine, weird things they do that I've never heard of. Okay. It's possible, if you're bold as a lion, for people to hate you. Well, let's, let's face reality. It's possible. Some may disown you. You don't run with the boys anymore. You don't run with the girls anymore. You know, you're, you're not like you used to be. And I really don't care to be around you or associate with you anymore. Because you're not like you used to be, which can be the greatest compliment you will ever get in your life. Hallelujah. <laughs> The righteous are as bold as a lion. So I want to look at here some of the heroes of faith and take a look at what were their lives like? What type of life did they live? The heroes of faith, Hebrews 11 and verse 33 is where we're, we will start. And we're going to read through a, a section of scripture here. Hebrews 11 and verse 33, Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness. There's the word. Bold. The righteous are bold as a lion. 
obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed, Valiant, valiant in flight, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Now, what is that? Better resurrection? Well, that tells you there's more than one resurrection. There's that tells you there's a better resurrection that you can be in. And that better resurrection is the first resurrection from the dead. So this is something that I think would just gloss right over a lot of Christians' minds. What do you mean a better resurrection? Hebrews 11 and verse 36. And others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings. You probably don't want to know what that word really means. Scourging. Christ was scourged. And what would they say? A can of nine tails, you know, a handle with leather uh, strips coming out of it. And the end of the leather strips were chunks of bones and rocks and pieces of metal. Imagine being scourged with that, whipped with that. Yea, moreover, bonds and imprisonment, they were stoned. They were sewn asunder. We don't want to think about where they started to saw, do we? We're tempted, we're slain, we're, with the, uh, we're slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy. Now that's a powerful statement. The world just didn't think much of these people. The world was just, I mean, it was not, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, and all these, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Hmm, what promise? God having provided some better thing for us, that they, without us, should not be made perfect. Meaning, God has a plan called the first resurrection. When these people will come up and be made perfect when Christ returns and calls the first fruits. They without us should not be made perfect. So you look at this and you think you look at the heroes of faith and you think, wow, man, that that that's some heavy stuff. And then there's another passage I want to look at about we Christians, those that God has called out. This is found in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 27. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 27. Talks about the type of people that God uses. Someone said that, you know, as we went through this list, we're, going, we're about to go through this list, well, it doesn't say they're all like that, but uh, all Christians are like this, but let's take a look at it. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised has God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. If you consider the disciples, 
I had a piece of paper. I wish uh, I couldn't find it, but uh, it described how each one of the disciples were killed. Now, I don't know if it's absolutely accurate. I'm not sure if they have the absolute information. We know that with the exception of John, who, who I think died maybe a natural death on the island of Patmos, you know, the book of Revelation or whatever. But it talked about how the disciples were killed. And maybe you've heard the story that Peter refused, he wanted to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in the same manner that our Savior was crucified. So, so I don't know, but, but they were all martyred for their belief, with the exception of John. Okay. Now you may look at all this and you think, well, I'm not sure I want to be a disciple of, of Jesus Christ. Well, you really don't have any other choice. If God has called you well, you do have a choice, but that, that choice is even worse than any choice you could possibly make. You know, the, the choice you have is God has called me and this is what I am to be. Okay. A disciple of Jesus Christ. That, that's, that, that's what I am. Okay. Now, the point I'm trying to make is this. There is an attitude that people have towards people like this. I mean, it just goes without saying. There's an attitude that people of the world have towards people who are called of God, who are saints, who are chosen. And a lot of times it's not a good attitude. There's an attitude that sort of mixes in with everything we've just read. The description here. There's an attitude that people have towards people like this. People, foolish things, weak things, base things, things which are not. There's a certain attitude that goes along with that. There's an attitude that is reflected out towards these people. And when we read that, they had trials of cruel mocking and scourgings and bonds of imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with a sword or warned about. You know, all, all of this description of that we read about, you know, when you think about it, it was the attitude of other people that caused these cruel outcomes to occur to these people. Bad attitude that people have towards you. The chosen, the saints, the call of God. There's an attitude out there that we have to deal with. So what I want to talk about is, this is not necessarily the title. title might be bold as a line, but the description would be this. Never let anyone, never, never let another person Put you down when it comes to your faith. Never let another person put you down when it comes to your faith. Be bold as a lion. Because a lot of times there are degrading remarks. There are innuendos. There are insinuations that people make. And I think we need to be in... Sometimes I think we need to be in the, in the attack mode. <laughs> you know, little things like, well, boy, this, that's, that pork sure is good. Yeah, well, okay, it may be, but do you know that God calls it an abomination? 
If you like eating something that God calls an abomination, knock yourself out. Okay? That's being bold as a line right there, by the way. You're not going to make a lot of friends. You're not going to please your family members. I can guarantee you that. But you might just please God by being bold as a line. There are harsh words. There are, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt. That's a lie. But there are harsh words that people can use against you. There are, sometimes people want to humiliate you, you know, because they believe your faith is silly, okay? Because they believe your faith is silly. Now, what's the difference between not letting someone put you down and correction? All right, what's the difference between the two? Well, correction is born out of love. If I come up, if I correct a person out of love, let's, let's, I'll pick on Alicia. I'll say, Alicia, what's it, this is the way you do it, when, correction. You know, you say, I say, Alicia, you have got a wonderful, beautiful voice, and we are so grateful for you to be in this church as a song leader, and, and you are, to me, you're a deeply spiritual, knowledgeable woman of the Bible. You know, I list all these things, and then I list something that maybe, but, but there's one thing I would like just to mention here, you know, a side note uh, that I may want to correct. But you give, give someone about five positives and one negative. Now, human nature, guess which one the human, human nature is going to focus on? Not the five positive that I just gave. It, it's the negative one that they're going to focus on. So that's why you want to compensate that with five positive before you go to the negative one. Okay, that's correction out of love. Okay. So what is the difference between not letting someone put you down and correction, someone correcting you? Well, when someone puts you down, your faith down, it's done out of selfish ambition and personal gain, self-aggrandizement. It's like, a, you know, sometimes people can't come up with a way to counter the truth. And so it's one-upsmanship. Well, I, you know, I can just, I can say something here that will really, doesn't make a bit of sense, but it sort of throws down on you. Never let another person put you down when it comes to your faith. Be bold as a lion. You know, one of the main things that will prove to the world that you are different is your faith. Because when I look at the world of Christianity, I don't see a lot of differences out there, you know. Okay. But one thing, one main thing that will prove to the world that you are different is your faith. And your faith is something you ought to be proud of. Because you didn't choose it. You didn't make it up yourself, did you? You didn't, you didn't wake up one day and say, I'm going to come up with a set of beliefs that I, I just think would be really cool and different than the rest of the world. That's not how it worked. Not for me, anyway. Much of it, when I was first called, I rejected. I didn't want to do it. I told God I didn't want to do it. He had other ideas, of course. <laughs> Sometimes we don't want to be different because we don't want to rock the boat or stand out. This just past Christmas, I had, I forget how many times I had it, two or three times I did this. I said, you know, people asked me about Christmas. And I said, you know, my parents quit celebrating Christmas when I was 12. And, uh, and it said, I said, it wasn't because I, I don't believe in Jesus. It, it's because I don't believe everything that goes on at Christmas is about Jesus. That was my answer. 
And they, they, they said a couple of women, uh, some doctor or something I was going to, I forget what about, but, but anyway, no, I don't forget, I just don't want to tell you, but uh, uh, <laughs> they said, you know, that, that, I agree with you. I said, that's right. It's it, all, everything that goes on at, you know, at Christmas time. I, and they, it was funny. They said, you know, you're keeping Christmas like it should be kept. <laughs> now, I was not expecting that answer. <laughs> But hey, I believe Christ was born. I do believe he was born, and, 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 but I wouldn't keep it with all the other rigmarole that goes on. But uh, you know, I, I probably should have went on to explain more about the holy days and, and stuff like that. But they asked, they said, well, they said, do you have any children? And I said, well, yeah, we got one daughter, and she's, uh, I think I told her, 30 years old. How old are you, Rebecca? 31. Oh, I missed it by one year. And I said, she said, <laughs> she said, well, has she ever celebrated Christmas? I said, no. I said no, you know, and you know, you don't miss what you never had. Now that's a key principle to sin also, or in our struggle. You don't miss what you never had. It's a very deep spiritual principle in that. <clears throat> I think we grieve the Holy Spirit when we just want to blend in. We just want to blend in. And I think we need, be, need to be bold. Look, I work on the first work day of the week. Why do I work on the first work day of the week? Well, because the Bible tells me to work on the first work day of the week, which is Sunday. Okay, that, that's, we miss that side of it sometimes. We're too focused on the Sabbath side, you know, rest and all that. You know, you could change that up, by the way. You know, I, I'm working on Sunday because God tells me to work on the first work day of the week. Oh, you keep the Jewish holidays. No, I do not keep the Jewish holidays. I keep the Feast of Jehovah. That's what I keep. The Feast of the Lord. That's what I keep. People are always wanting it. They can dismiss you, you know, oh, you're, you're whatever. But no, I keep the Feast of Jehovah. I think Halloween in church is just downright stupid. I know of no other way to put that nicely. You know, if aliens came down here to our planet and walked through Walmart and, and Lowe's during these seasons and saw all the paraphernalia and they asked, what is all this garbage you got out here at Christmas and Easter? And, and you said, well, I'm not Christmas, but Christmas and Halloween. And you, your answer would be, well, this is how we celebrate our God. I don't know. What would the alien do? Pass out? You know? You know? Is that, is, 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 is that what it's all about? I do not believe that Christ is up in heaven at Christmas time looking at everything that goes on and saying all this for me. I haven't believed that. When I, when I was 12, I didn't believe that. When my parents quit celebrating, you know, I, I never fell for that one. I knew my human nature. I mean, my parents tried to put Christ in Christmas. We would sit around and read the Bible, the birth of Jesus, before we open our gifts. And I'm thinking, I'm getting angry, you know. I'm, I'm looking at those beautiful gifts, and I'm thinking, forget this thing about the story of Jesus. I want to open my gifts. That's, that's what my carnal mind wanted. That's what I knew I wanted. And mixing the two, religion, it just did not fit. At age 12, it didn't fit my mind. I couldn't make sense of it. 
I don't worship a God who is a monster. Okay? If you had a neighbor who every morning you heard him out there whipping his puppies, and every morning with a stick he's whipping his puppies, and you hear him yapping and yowling and their bloody ribbons, and every, every morning that's going on. The neighbor's running out there and whipping his little puppy dogs. You'd do something about that, wouldn't you? You might go over to his house and, and whip, you know what. You might call the authorities. Um, it is a felony to torture animals. The U.S. Senate has a better understanding than theologians. You know, if God were to come down here and be put on trial, he would be thrown in jail for the idiotic notion that God torments and tortures people for all of eternity. He'd be thrown in jail if God were to be come down here and put on trial. Now, I'm not saying that I don't believe in hell. I believe in a hell that will destroy the wicked with the second death. But the idea that God tortures people for all eternity is just like that neighborhood and that neighbor guy that you got running out there every morning whipping his puppies and beating them half to death. That's not, I do not worship a God that is a monster. And we need to be bold in our assessment of what is going on and the way people think, think they think about God and just lay it on the line. That's not the God that I worship. You have more understanding than theologians. Let me encourage you. You in this room have more understanding than theologians. Theologians will use a set of scriptures taken out of context concerning the law, concerning the Sabbath day. And they're always the exact same scriptures that they will go to. They never deviate from it. And you know, you have more understanding than theologians. Line upon line, here a little, there a little. You have a better understanding than theologians have. So you need to have this confidence if you're going to be bold as a line. <clears throat> you know, Christ, you have all the bullets, in other words. you got a loaded gun instead of an empty one with blanks in it. Christ did not allow others to put his faith down. Now, he willingly laid down his life, but when you willingly do something, you're still in control. <laughs> That's the difference. <laughs> Which shows incredible, you know. I mean, we ought to be awestruck at this one. He willingly laid down his life. He was in control. But when they defiled the temple, what did he do? Threw people out of it. Threw the people out the church. You know, yeah. Don't let the doorknob hit you where the good Lord splits you, you know. Get out the door. That's what Christ did. When Christ, when they denied his identity, what did he do? Well, I've been talking about some harsh language, by the way. He was a defender, a defender of who he was, what he was, and what he stood for. He was bold as a lion. Are you a defender of who you are, whose you are, I should say, what you are, and what you stand for? <clears throat> Never let another person put you down when it comes to your faith. 
You know the name calling that <laughs> that Christ. I mean, you can read about it. Or what you know, snakes in the grass, vipers. I mean, you know, uh, just the, the name calling, whatever you want to call it. Christ was not a doormat, is what I'm saying. I like this verse. Again, because it just illustrates the, the insanity. Luke 19 and verse 37. I mean, it was an occasion that involved praise. The praise of God. And when he was come, Luke 19 and verse 37. And when he was uh, come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And how could they not? The healings, the miracles, saying, Blessed be the king that comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in, earth, uh, in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke your disciples. We can't have this praise going on. <laughs> it's incredible. These buffoons could not even tolerate the praise of Christ. And Christ says in Luke 19 and verse 40, And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. I mean, you'd have rocks praising God and singing if they held their peace. But I just think it's ironic that they couldn't even, I mean, even the praise of God they were displeased with. The praise of Christ Jesus, our Savior. I'm displeased with that too. <laughs> it's amazing. Toward the end time, Christ said in Luke 21 and verse 15, you don't have to turn there, but he said, look, I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. I'm going to put words in your mouth. You're going to be bold as a, lion, uh, as a lion. No one's going to be able to resist you. Bold as a lion. Now I want to go to a second point here. The assumption that nearly all people make when it comes to putting down your faith. The assumption that nearly all people make when it comes down to when it comes to putting down your faith. Here it is. People look at you, people look at me, <clears throat> and they say something like, Man, you hadn't changed a bit. <laughs> It was Ron Dart said, that's the worst thing you could say to a person. <laughs> now, 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 I know why people say it. You know, we're talking physical, you know, you know, we're trying to make people feel good. You know, you don't look as old, you know, you're, you're 100 years old, but you only look 90 or whatever. But, you know, I'll never forget, we was working on a job one time, and it was this elderly man home. It was his birthday, and he was a grouchy old man. I mean, if you ever ever, ever watched Gran Torino with Bill, uh, with uh, yeah, Bill, with uh, what's his name, Clint, Clint Eastwood. Yeah, that's what this old man was like—a grouch. And it was his birthday, and he came out and said, "It's my birthday. Guess how old I am." Oh no! Now I knew to keep my mouth shut, but Rusty didn't. And he guessed it like 97 and was like eight years older than he really was. Oh. You know, you think women get offended about this one. This one, he really, it just tore him up. He hated us ever since. We, when we left that job, we, no joke, we had to get, rent a shop vac 
to vacuum his yard and get the crumbs of rocks, little crumbs of cement up. He was that much of a pain in the rear end. But, but anyway, that's another story. You haven't changed a bit. You're, you're, and look, you are just like me. You haven't changed a bit. And who are you to stand out and make a difference? You're just judging. You ever hear that one? Oh, you're just judging. So I want to look at some Bible verses about change. Let's go through these quickly. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. James 1 and verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. It's not always to see this, easy to see this. But if you've got something good in your life, and there's many things that we've got that's good in our lives, even though you've been through a tough time, but you've got a lot of good things in your life, it is from God your Father. Rejoice in that. Those good things. It's from God your Father that's giving you these things. <clears throat> Second, uh, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11. As such were some of you but you are washed, you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You know, when people look at you and say, look, you haven't changed a bit, that's an insult. That's a slap in the face. You should take it like that. Okay? Romans 12 and verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, and that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The assumption nearly all people make when, when it comes to putting down your faith is the little statement, you haven't changed a bit. I think when we allow others to put us down, to believe that you haven't changed a bit, you're just like me, it's a slap in the face of our personal character. It's also a slap in the face of God, who is the creator of our personal character. So it's like a slap in the face when people say that. You haven't changed a bit. Because you have. How to grieve the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Just, con just convey to your family members, loved ones, other people, that you haven't changed a bit. Just prove to people what they already are wanting to believe about you. And that is you haven't changed a bit. You know, Christianity has always taken a bad rap because people are not really expecting Christians to do or behave any differently, are they? So if we want to grieve the Holy Spirit, just prove to them what they already want to believe. That you haven't changed a bit. The name of Christ, Christian means nothing to a lot of people. It's just a name people take on their lips. But we are to be different. We are to be bold as a lion. In Psalms 135, you don't want to turn there, in verse 14, I'm using the Message Bible, most, most translate. Well, it says, God stands up for his people. 
God holds their, the hands of his people. The King James will say God judges his people, but for some reason I want to use that verse, God stands up for his people. Often Christ is depicted as seated at the right hand of God. How would you like Christ to stand up for you? It would be pretty powerful, would it not? I mentioned that movie, you know, some of you saw Angels in the Outfield when, when the whole team stands up for the coach. It's a powerful scene. But how would you like Christ to stand up for you? Well, return the favor. Stand up for God. Be bold as a lion. And never let another person put you down when it comes to your faith. And never let another person assume that you haven't changed a bit. For more information, check us out online at isthatreallyinthebible.net. Listen to the podcast, watch the weekly program, worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service, and be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is isthatreallyinthebible.net. If you would like more information or if you have any questions, write to Is That Really in the Bible? 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Or visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net.